Well, Jesus is preaching to us the Sermon on the Mount, and we turn to a new chapter tonight, a new chapter not only in the book, in the Gospel of Matthew, but a new chapter in his emphasis. You remember that the Sermon on the Mount, as recorded in the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, dealt with deepening religious practices. And then the last part of that chapter really had to do with the management of material goods so that we could store up treasures in heaven. That churchy word, by the way, is stewardship. Whenever you hear that churchy word, that's what it's talking about, managing material goods. Now, though, Jesus starts to tell us how to manage ourselves. I hate it when he does that. Um, That is very important, and it's somewhat more difficult. And that's why people would love just to stick with managing material goods, according to God. But we can't do that. And Jesus tells us that. As a matter of fact, he got very irritated with some of the religious people because they thought as long as they just handled their money all right, then they were pretty good people. Uh, Precisely uh, uh, with the uh, scribes and the Pharisees. It says in Matthew 23, 23, says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you tithe everything. Remember what we talked about, the tithe is the 10%. It goes, goes to the work of God right off the top so that the other 90% will follow. So he says, you tithe everything. But you've neglected the weightier provisions of the law. Justice and mercy and faithfulness. These are the things you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Don't neglect the, the, the stewardship of your material goods. But don't stop there, Jesus is saying. There's some about your character that I really want to address. So here we go. Now, this first part of this address gets to an age-old habit. And by age-old, I don't mean just thousands of years. I mean from the time we're little to the time we're old. From the time we're young to the time we're old, we have this tendency to criticize people. Have you noticed that? Shift blame on everybody else? Yeah, well, yeah. And it doesn't get solved automatically when we become a Christian. As a matter of fact, it just goes right on in and just takes a holier tone. Jesus starts tonight with one of the most oft-quoted verses in the Bible. Only we usually quote it for self-defense purposes. Judge not, lest you be judged. We're always, whoa, don't judge me. That's not at all how he used it. But before we get into that, let's kind of set this whole thing up and let's just recognize that this tendency to become frustrated with others' imperfections is all around us. This isn't a religious thing. This is a part of the world we live in. So here's what we decided to do. We decided just to set it up with something purely secular. Hadn't got a thing to do with church. Um, As a matter of fact, it's got to do with Broadway. We went back and took a part of a Broadway musical. And it's entitled, I Do, I Do. It was a musical on Broadway in the 1960s. And it chronicles a marriage over a period of 50 years. Now, we we thought if there's anything that really typifies how we can get on each other's nerves, it'd be trying to improve marriage partners, wouldn't it be? Yes. So, um, listen to this. Sweetie, I really hope you're not planning on being the life of the party tonight again. (laughs) Life of the party. (laughs) My good woman. If you don't enjoy playing second fiddle, I suggest you either quit the orchestra or form one of your own. (laughs) (laughs) My good woman. My good woman. Do you believe him? 
To be married to a man for 12 years and then suddenly to be addressed like you're the ladies' luncheon club? You know something, hmm? sweetie? Yes, pumpkin? You've changed. <laughs> well, cupcake, <laughs> so have you. <laughs> well, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. I am human, so are you. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. So here is what we ought to plan to do. Let's make a list of irritating habits that we think the other person has. And then once we know our irritating habits, we can correct them. As for example, now please don't be offended, but because these things exist, I have taken the little liberty of fixing up a little uh, list. <laughs> now you're sure you don't mind? No. I'm absolutely certain. Well, I think that's rather big of you. Well, see, you see, dear, it just so happens that I have made up a little listing, too. Huh. A pair of socks does not represent the end of the civilized world. If you're out of socks, believe me when I say that there's bound to be a more effective way to get them washed than to stand in your drawers in the middle of the kitchen screaming, someone has stolen my socks. <laughs> this is a piece of paper. Now, this is a column which, as you can see, I have placed on the piece of paper. Now, this is a list of receipts and bills, what we might call a household expense, which I have entered along this line, forming a business-like design inside the column which I've prepared upon this piece of paper. Now, this is a total of all those bills. It represents a month's expense, the whole outlay in checks and cash that went for the rent, the corned beef hash. In short, the sum and net result of all the figures inside the column which I've prepared upon this piece of paper. Now, this, as you know, is a statement from the bank. It must be compared with the total result of all the figures inside the column. If we're to know in terms of cost just how much money we've made or lost, how far, in fact, we've come or gone, what I'm trying to say is, honey, you're overdrawn. Again. You chew in your sleep. Do what? You chew. You go like this. I don't. You do. I have never done one time in my life. <laughs> Darling, please remember I'm your wife. You chew in your sleep. You do it frequently. That is absolutely awful. <laughs> I quite agree. You are always late. You are always early. <laughs> We're totally dressed and ready to go. 
I opened the door, but do we make it? No, it's where are my gloves, my gloves, my gloves, and where is my purse, my purse, my purse? Where is my keys? Where is my hat? Where is my this? Where is my that? If I protest, it only makes it worse. Hat and gloves, keys and purse, pain in the terrible curse. And I would simply like to state that if you ask me what I hate, it's the horrible, terrible habit you have of always being late. Oh, when I start to tell a story, an amusing anecdote I've read. Oh, when I start to tell a funny story, I get flustered cause I know what lies ahead and all. Russian dressing, which I happen to detest. You got the morning paper and you take the part that's best. Every night since we've been wed, you've worn cold cream into bed. Every night beneath the sheet, must you look like trick or treat? Well, nobody's perfect, nobody's perfect. I am human, so are you. Nobody's perfect, nobody's perfect. Now here is what we ought to plan to do. You take my list and see if you can't do a little better. You take mine and see if you can't notice some improvement. Cause nobody's perfect, especially not you. Not you, not you, not you, not you, not you, not you. You know, it really adds to the realism of the delivery of that is that those two are married in real life. <clears throat> so they've probably rehearsed this a few times. But haven't we all? The point here is that the content is what's realistic. We really want to improve other people. But Jesus said, you're taking the wrong route because there's a little bit more direct route that I'd like you to try. You want to improve the world? Start with your shoes and work up. Turn to Matthew chapter 7 if you have your scriptures with you. And let me give it to you in his exact words. Judge not, lest ye be judged. Now let me point out a couple of things with this first sentence. Judge not, the, the, the verb is in the present imperative. That is the present tense, the imperative mood. That means it's a command that means you go on in a continuous and repetitive fashion. Jesus didn't expect us just to say, okay, I'm going to decide not to be a critical person and us have it whooped. As a matter of fact, this is in the same tense that be not anxious was. Jesus says, you're worriers. You're going to worry all the time. I know you're going to worry all the time. So this is something you're going to have to remind yourself of again and again and again and again. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. You're worrying. Oops, don't worry, don't worry. Same thing with criticizing. You're criticizers. You're blamers. And so this is something you're going to have to stop yourself from doing again and again and again and again in a continuous or repeated fashion. Judge not. 
lest ye be judged. Now, the second verse, the second verb, is in the aorist tense, the subjunctive mood, and the passive voice. You know what that means? That means, because sooner or later, it's going to come back to you, baby. It's going to land on you. The law of reciprocity works very well in criticism. As you criticize, it will come back. Now, I want you to see another thing here. The word for judgment is not the Greek word for sound judgment. The Lord expects us all to exercise sound judgment. He expects us to evaluate. It says in 1 John 4, 1, to test the spirits, because not every spirit proceeds from God. So to do that with a clear mind, to, do, to measure something against a certain standard, is something that Christians do. But this word, this word has all the implications of somebody getting on their moral high horse and looking down. And Jesus says, in essence, Every time you find yourself in a position that esteems you to be morally superior to somebody else, watch out. Because it's going to hurt you. Look at what this says. It says in the second verse this. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will will be measured to you. You know what that says? That says, in a very ominous tone, that our judgment of others is not just for our self-improvement, it's for our self-protection. We need to learn not to judge others so that we won't hurt ourselves because this law of reciprocity says every time you criticize, it's going to come right back to you. That's just the way the world is. I, one of my favorite parables is about George, who was a deputy sheriff all his life. All his life he wanted to be respected. All of his life he wanted to be seen uh, uh, above other people. But all of his life he was kind of looked down as, as, as friendly old George. That's just who George was, just friendly old George. He always wanted to be sheriff. He never could quite make sheriff. But one time the sheriff died. And, and, and George says, well, maybe, maybe now I can be sheriff. And he ran for sheriff. And sure enough, he got elected sheriff. And so he thought, this is so cool because now when I walk down the street, they'll, they'll call me sheriff. Term of respect. So I walked down the street and everybody said, hey, hi, George. How you doing? He's thinking, oh, man, they ought to call me sheriff. I'm the sheriff. So he thought, maybe if I get a bigger gun. You know, and a bigger gun belt. You never get one of these things that could go across. And so he got one of those, you know, and he wore it down the street. Everybody said, hi, George. Oh, he's so mad. He's thinking, maybe if I get a new uniform with bright buttons and stuff, they gleam all over the place. Maybe then, you know, call me sheriff. So he got a bright new uniform, walked down the street, and everybody said, hi, George. He was so mad. He thought, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Now, remember, this is a parable. I'm going to get a huge badge so huge that when they look at me, they'll see the badge and they'll automatically give me respect. So he sent away and got this like this three foot around badge. I mean, a huge thing. It was just huge. But he put it on, he walked down the street, and finally people got the hint, started calling him sheriff. He was so happy. But one day there was a bank robber. 
And so the bank robber went into the bank and he started holding it up and, 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 and he started shooting all over the place. And George, being the sheriff, had to rush over as good as he could. And, and he's in there and, and the bank robber starts shooting at George and the bullets are just bouncing off that badge. Ping, ping, ping. And George is laughing. Whoa, ho, 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 I got my badge. And he draws his gun and he shoots at the bank robber and it ricochets and he shoots himself. Now the point is this. Anytime we're hiding behind our own sense of authority, anytime we have to have something that makes other people look up to us, we're going to shoot ourselves in the foot somehow. We're going to be injured. Why? Because the law of reciprocity is in uh, effect. Remember Jesus said, or the, the, the Bible says, pride goes before fall. Remember Jesus said, you want to be a leader? The only way you can be a leader without hurting yourself is to be a servant. Leadership isn't this. Leadership is this. And so Jesus says, don't assume a morally superior position. You are just setting yourself up for a fall. Then after we understand that, there is a very interesting question. And the question is, why do we assume that the mess is everyone else's fault? Why do we assume that the frustration we have with other people is not really something that we need to fix about ourselves? He asks that question in verse 3. And why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log. Now, I want to stop here and just say, this is first century humor. This is like Jerusalem humor. Wouldn't hit the clubs over here, but this is, you, you got to get the picture here. Jesus is saying, you know how irritating it is when you get anything in your eye. Those of you who wear contacts, you know when you get something behind that contact? I mean, it's just like horizontal tears. You're like, oh, I got to get this. It's so irritating. Get this little thing in there. The Greek word used here for log is log. <laughs> it's a build, It's a building material. It's like. It's like. It's like very. It's. 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 It's impossible. And Jesus said, "How could you be so morally obtuse to not notice that your sin is bigger than anybody else's? That that the that a problem uh, exists that's huge in your life. And 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 we stop to think, how could that be?" Remember, for example, Second uh, Samuel verse, uh, chapter twelve, verses one through seven, where where Nathan comes to David. Remember King David. King David's king by this time. Everybody's looking up to him. Got all these concubines, all these wives in the Old Testament. You could do that, and 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 then he gets into thing with Bathsheba, big sin, and Nathan comes to him, says, "Hey, David, let me tell you a story." Okay, come on, I like stories. He said, "There's a real rich guy." Had all these sheep. And he had a visitor. And the rich guy, listen to this, David. David's in there. Because everybody loves stories, don't they? David, yeah. And the rich guy went over to this one guy who had just to his name one poor little ewe lamb. He loved that little ewe lamb. That's all he had. And the rich guy took it, cooked it for his visitor. David was incensed. He said, 
that man deserves to die. Nathan looked at him and said, that's you, David. You got all of these wives. You went on and put, you took Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. You did that. Now, the question we have to ask is, how could anybody be so insensitive to their own sin they could get all the way in there and not recognize themselves? I want to tell you, we do that every day. Every time we get irritated with somebody else, God's teaching us something about ourselves. Every time we get frustrated with somebody, God's teaching us something about ourselves. You know, at the turn of the century, the most famous astronomer in this country, the most famous astronomer in the world was Sir, per Sir Percival Lowell. He had uh, an observatory, worked out of an observatory in Arizona, actually. Huge telescope for that day, the biggest one in the world of that day. And he loved to look at all of the planets, especially Mars. Mars was his favorite. And he was convinced that there was life on Mars. You know why? Because the more he strained through that telescope to look at Mars, the more he saw canals on the surface of Mars. And he's thinking to himself, how could there be canals up there if there weren't intelligent life? I mean, these things are all over the place. Must be intelligent life up there. And none of the world could refute him because he was the most famous astronomer. He was the expert. Finally, he got to a place in life where his eyes really bothered him. So he went to see a doctor. And the doctor diagnosed what to this day is called Lowell's Syndrome. There is a dysfunction in certain eyes that the more they strain to see, the more somehow they project and can see the swollen blood vessels in the eyes. You see, there were never any canals on Mars. We're there right now. No canals. <laughs> what Lowell was actually seeing was the blood vessels in his own eyes. What do we see when we see sin in other people? What do we see? We see that which frustrates us. Why does it frustrate us? Many times it's because what frustrates us most about other people is what we don't like about ourselves and what we're afraid of for ourselves. And so therefore, the Bible would say, how is it? Jesus would say, how is it that you've got to buy this about yourself and you don't even notice it? You know, the first step in this whole process is to realize this. Anybody with a log in their eye really isn't qualified to look at a speck in somebody else's eye. In other words, we're not qualified to be judges. We're just not qualified. There was, a there was a barrister, a judge in England, Sir Matthew Hale, years ago under Cromwell's uh, leadership. And, uh, and at one point he went out <clears throat> to this very uh, uh, um, famous and important trial. And he went in as the judge and he uh, dismissed the jury before the, before the trial ever got started because he believed that they had been unfairly chosen. Cromwell was so infuriated that he sent for him, called him back to the court, called him before the court, and said, you are not fit to be a judge. And Sir Matthew Hale looked at him and said, oh, you are really right about that. I'm not fit to be a judge. How many of us could say that? All of us should say that. We're not fit to be a judge. Now, once... You admit that. 
Once you can read Romans chapter 2, verse 1, with all honesty, therefore you are without excuse, every man of you who passes judgment, that is criticism, for in that you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. Once you can say that, then you can start the procedure that is necessary to help other people out. You see, we started under the guise of help, but we were, really we were trying to shift blame. We were trying to shift attention. But once we say, no, I'm not worthy. I got this stuff that's wrong with me. I need to understand this stuff. Then Jesus says in the next verse, read with me. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You see, the way we improve the world is from our shoes up. But ultimately, we don't do that for us. This is not about self-improvement. It is ultimately about helping our neighbor, helping our brother. We must never get mixed up about that. We must always understand that we will improve ourselves for others in ways we won't improve ourselves for ourselves. I've seen parents straighten out because they had kids and they wanted to be good examples. I've seen people straighten out because they, want, they, because they had grandparents. They, 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 wanted to, they didn't want to shame. So we, we have this tendency, and, and that's good, because we are to live for other people. Remember the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Prioritizing your neighbor. So let's take the second part of this verse first. Then you'll be able to help your brother. Because only then will we understand why and with what attitude we have to take the log out. Our ultimate goal is to learn this. There's something better than winning. You know, the real reason that we criticize is not just to avoid blame, it's to come out ahead. We've got this, we've got this competition thing. Now, that's not all bad. It's not all bad. There's nothing wrong with winning. It's okay. But there's something better than winning. And the truly mature, the spiritually mature, know this. I, I, I read a story several years ago. This is a true story. Special Olympics were being held in Seattle. Now, for those of you who don't remember, Special Olympics are for those uh, kids, those young people that are challenged mentally or physically. Um, and, uh, and they were holding Special Olympics, and there was a, there was a heat of the 100-yard dash. And all of these kids had on uniforms. They were so proud, so proud of their uniforms, you know, because they were in the Special Olympics. And they had nine kids lined up in this 100-yard dash, boys and girls. And they're all ready to go. And, and the starter comes up to the line. He says, on your mark. Oh, they're ready to go. Get set. Bang, the gun goes off. And all night, I'm just take off. But two steps out of the block, one of those kids fell down, a little boy. And he just rolled in the asphalt. And he just started to cry. All eight of the other contestants stopped. And they all turned around. And they all went back. This little girl with Down syndrome bent over and said, I can make it better. And she kissed him. And then they all got this little boy up and brushed, brushed off the dirt. And they all linked arms 
and walked to the finish line. People still talk about that in Seattle. Now, what was it that we wanted to win again? (laughs) What was so important about that? You see, what we need to learn, what Northland in the future is, is to understand this. The thing that's better than winning is helping somebody else win. That's the only thing better than winning, helping somebody else win, helping your brother. And so therefore, we've got to remember that the reason for self-improvement isn't for us, it's for them. Okay, now let's come to that area that we can have something to do with. Let's, take, let's talk about taking the log out of our eye. What are the two things we need to remember when we do that? First of all, it's, it's important to remember. Well, let, let, me, let me read the scripture. It says, first take the log out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, one of the things that strikes me as I read through this, is why don't we have a lot of people, including myself, that are absolutely joyful about repentance? I absolutely can't wait not to criticize other people if it only hurts us to do so. Well, the reason is, is because we've gotten so used to it. We've got a hard heart. And, and some, there's some perversion in us that likes to see other people lose because it makes us look better. And so therefore, sometimes, in order to work at our heart, we don't go to the Lord and just say, Lord, change my heart. How many of you have said, Lord, soften my heart? And five minutes later, somebody cuts you off in traffic, and there you are again. Right? So... Part of this is the very picture of just taking something that you can do physically. Something that, that doesn't necessarily mean right to the core of your being, but something that you can do and actually doing it. I heard a story once about um, uh, a revival preacher. You know, years ago, being a preacher was dangerous. I mean, it's not, danger, it's not too dangerous today, at least not in this part of the country. But even in this country, years ago, it's dangerous. Today, people don't shout at you. They don't heckle you. They walk out and say bad things, but they don't do anything when they're in here. But back then, some preachers like had to carry guns. I mean, you'd you'd get in fist fights in these revival meetings. And there were hecklers that just loved to come and shout preachers down. And there were some that liked to throw things. And I I remember reading a story. This is a historical uh, event. Some man had come to a George Whitfield revival. George Whitfield was one of the greatest preachers ever in this country. And he had come with stones in his pocket to just pelt George Whitfield at the right time in that sermon. And so here he is. He's just waiting for the right time to start unloading on Whitfield. Well, he's standing there waiting for the right time and he starts to listen. And the Lord starts to kind of speak to his heart. And he finds himself saying, well, you know, maybe I don't need to throw all these stones. And so he reaches in his back pocket and he just drops a stone, you know. And he listens for a little while longer, trying to just find the right spot. Well, maybe I don't need to, maybe just one stone would do it. He drops some more stones on the ground. He listens a while longer. He says, oh, maybe this isn't a good day to actually throw stones. The guy seems sincere and everything. Takes the last stone out of his pocket. 
But there was one more stone to be dealt with. And as he stood there and listened to that talk, the Lord took that stone in the middle of his chest and turned that stone into flesh. Now, I want to say this to you. The way, the very practical way that God will turn the hardness of your heart into flesh is when you do the practical things of not saying the things you could say to each other. I know you have wonderful zingers. I know they're true. I know people deserve what you're going to say about them. I know that people ought to listen to what you're saying. And if they would only listen to you, they would straighten out and be wonderful people. I know all of that. <laughs> but let me tell you anyhow, drop the stones. Drop the stones. Don't say what you could say, even if it's right. Because there's something that will more directly improve the world. And that is the softening of your heart and the changing of your attitude and the improvement of your life. It's very important to understand that. And it's important to note that it is painful, but it is freeing. You know, we know the sin that's in our life. We know what we're trying to shift blame onto other people for. We know what we're trying to hide. We know that. But we also can vision how it would be to live without that sin, to be honest with God and to confess to God. I don't know what we're afraid of. We've already been forgiven for our sin. So why can't we look at ourselves and say, God, it's not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Remember that great old black spiritual? Me standing in the need. Why can't we look at ourselves and get that out? When we don't, it just mounts up in us. When, my, when one of my sons was, was young, he had an abscess in his neck. We at first thought it was cancer. We went to the doctor and said, no, what's happened is there is a gland that has gotten infected. And that whole thing, forgive me for the graphicness of this, but, but it really correlates with the yuckiness of sin. What happened, that's just full of pus. And what's going to happen is it's going to close off and you're going to just have a hard ball of pus in there. Now, I said, you've got to make a decision. We can go in and take that thing out. But if we go in and take that thing out, we could cut some nerves. So you've got to make a decision. Well, Beck and I looked at each other. There wasn't any decision. Who would have a kid go around with a baseball on the side of his neck? What, what would that affect in the way he thought about himself? How would that affect the way he thought of the world? How would that pervert the way he thought about other people and the attitude he'd have? So they took it out. And for days, we had to stuff antiseptic gauze into that open wound so that it could heal from the inside out. I want to tell you, when you repent, when you get the sin out, you've got to stuff what is of God in there so that it can heal from the outside, uh, inside out, so that it can't get reinfected. But the point is, if you don't get the sin out, you're, dis you're, you're, you're disfigured. 
You know you're carrying around that stuff. It affects the way you see the world. It affects the way you see other people. So how can we improve the world? Get the stuff out. Take the log out. Get the sin out. Confess and repent. Then you really can be of help to your brother or sister. Now, Jesus has one footnote scripture here. And I want to I want to say this and then I'll quit. And I call it a footnote scripture, not because it's any less authoritative, but because when you use scriptures like these too often, uh, then you're becoming negative in your ministry instead of positive. He says in chapter seven, verse six, this. Do not give what is holy to dogs. In other words, there comes a time when, okay, you've realized you're nobody to judge. I'm nobody to judge. And I've cleaned up my life as well as I can. I'm continuing to clean up my life. And now maybe I can help somebody else. And Jesus is saying this. That's great, but I want you to know not everybody's going to accept your help. You know, you can try. You can be as sweet as you want to be. But they ain't buying it. And he doesn't want you to get discouraged. Some of you have pet projects right now of people that they just aren't hearing you. So what you're doing is you're trying to talk louder and longer and you're being more and more persistent. And Jesus is going to say this, whoa, what's up with this? If you're not getting through, you're not getting through. Look at what he says. Do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. You know what you're doing? You're just building up conflict here. Now, this is very important to understand. You have, when you offer somebody something of the kingdom, something that's so important that if they were in their right mind, mind, they would sell all they had, like the pearl of great price. They'd sell all they have just for what you have. But they're not going that direction. As a matter of fact, they're pretty pretty satisfied with the little piece of land they got, they'd rather wallow in it and just kind of hang in there for the rest of their lives than, than really take off. There are many people who don't have a clue what you're offering them. Let me give you one of the most important leadership principles you'll ever have. Don't continue to waste your energy on somebody who can't receive what you have to offer. Does that mean you don't love them anymore? Of course not. I bet you Jesus loved pigs and dogs. He made them before he became incarnate. He made pigs and dogs. As a Jew, he probably didn't like pigs, but before he became a Jew, (laughs) before he became a Jew, he liked them. He made them. You know, Colossians says, hey, all things were made through him. Made the pigs, but didn't try to make disciples out of them. You understand? There are people who don't have the capacity. There, you can talk All you want. It ain't happening. Now, don't stop loving them. Don't break relationship with them. But I want you to understand what you have to offer. People need. People want. There are people who will will do anything to receive what you have to offer. You go to them. You go to them. Don't get mad at these other people. You go to them. But before you go, continue to work so that you'll not judge. Now, we're going to spend just a few minutes in prayer here to do what we've just talked about. A few minutes repenting, a few minutes just confessing our sin to God and getting rid of that which would infect us. On the screen, you're going to see Psalm 139 just as a start. 
And, and what I'd like for us to do in these next few minutes before the closing song is if, if you would concentrate on two things. Number one, like I said, some of you have people that you're very irritated, very frustrated with right now. I want you to take those people to the Lord and say, here, Lord, I can't seem to manage this. And I want to tell you, I'm just going to, I'm just going to just love them from afar. But if they're going to change, it's going to take you. Because I can't change them. They don't want what I have to offer. But for that reason, for that sake, let's take this opportunity to again look inside ourselves and say, okay, tonight I'm going to confess a sin. I'm going to repent of a sin. I'm going to get some of this stuff out so that I'm free of it. All right? Two things. Find somebody you're going to let go and find a sin you're going to get out. Let's pray right now. Lord, we thank you that you have given us the freedom and the safety to confess our sins. We don't need to be afraid to be who we are, to be honest with you, because you have simply said to us, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, Lord, we thank you for the simple freedom that that gives us. We thank you that we don't need to be afraid anymore and hide our sins and try to shift blame on other people. We don't need to be victims in this life. We can be honest and we can say, Lord, let revival start and let it restart in my shoes on up. So help us as we go from here to continually interrupt our own critical spirit and instead look at what we can improve in our own lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.